It's Thanksgiving week, and that means a crap ton of football and a crap ton of food. We're going to discuss that and a whole bunch of sports. This is Iceman and Coach. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Iceman and Coach Sports Show. This is Matty Ice. It is Thanksgiving week. It is always a big week in sports, and I have a happy, happy announcement to make. The coach is back after surviving the great flood on Noah's Ark. Coach, welcome back to the show, my man. Matty Ice, good to be back. And I want to throw a little shout out to Clee for stepping in, man, and doing a great job last week. I appreciate it. I'm sure there will be opportunities down the road for him to uh, do the same. So, yeah, uh, we had a little bit of water in the studio here, but we are dry and uh, we are ready to get on with another great week of this show. It was really funny. Cleve actually said to me, he's like, I hope he can get out of it without a raft. And I just thought that was funny because I imagined you and Ryan from Pup Time trying to raft out of there, trying to get the water out and saving the equipment, saving the recording equipment. But uh, what a terrible thing. Well, winter, winter sucks. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. So I'll try to keep this pretty brief, but I showed up here to do our regular weekly recording and I see carpet like out in the driveway and I'm like, well, I didn't know they're remodeling or anything. And I just came in and sat like in the studio area at first, you know, and there wasn't like any visible water necessarily. And uh, I hear some commotion. So I text Ryan and he tells me what's because I'm like, are you remodeling? Because he wasn't even home yet. So you remodeling? What's going on? He says, oh, I got some water in the basement, this and that. And so I kind of pop out and talk to his wife see if she needs a hand with anything and their oldest son's ripping up some carpet and that's where the carpet came from but i was expecting based off like what she said when she started talking to me that there's this is going to be like a devastating flood and, and not obviously it caused damage i mean the carpet throughout their basement was ruined uh anything that was on the floor the you know, electronics or whatever ruined but it didn't even get high enough to like get into the walls to like ruin walls or whatever else there was enough water in the carpet in the studio that the the company that came out to do the cleanup put fans and a dehumidifier humidifier in here and they moved some stuff out of their regular basement into this area uh, which made it impossible to record it's been a wind tunnel but luckily though uh they are dry um, it sounds like uh they'll probably end up scoring a new floor out of the deal via insurance uh and whatnot so uh, at the end of the day it's probably going to turn out pretty good for our friend ryan I am very familiar with the insurance score as we scored brand new siding, garage door, and gutters and downspouts this summer from a hailstorm. So I know exactly how that works. Well, I would say this, right? I think that Ryan and Pub Time have something to be thankful for that it wasn't worse. I mean, water damage is awful. I know a bunch of people who've had multiple instances of water damage in their basement and even a new sump pump hasn't helped it. And it's just terrible damage and it's a pain in the ass. Like putting in new flooring, it takes time, it takes work. And it's just, it puts you out in a way that is, I don't know, water for me, like the plumbing in my house, it actually scares me more than anything else at, well, electrical. But if you have an electrical fire, it means something was really wrong to begin with. But plumbing, you have no idea because you can't see it. So it's like, well, one of these days, I'll just have this giant ass water stain somewhere and I'll have to fix it. And that, that terrifies me. Yeah. Water damage can be pretty debilitating. My, uh, 
my mom and stepdad's house yeah they had a, a really you know probably four to five inches of water that got in their basement during during a really bad rainstorm i don't know 10 years ago or whatever and i remember that mess Fortunately here, it wasn't nearly as bad. And, and like I said, it, it, probably they're gonna come out ahead maybe at the end of the day, minus a little inconvenience. Uh, the bummer for them is that there are two older boys, their rooms are in the basement. So their lives have been turned uh, upside down a little bit as far as their rooms being emptied and probably crashed on the couch here and there a little bit while things get cleaned up. But all in all, I think it uh, turned out much better than it could have. And we are happy to be back at it. It's a precursor to living in college. So just having to bum it on somebody's couch and do all that stuff, it's they'll, they'll be totally fine. So coach, this is Thanksgiving week. I can't even believe that, right? Like we started doing this show a few months back. It feels like it was just yesterday, but we've been in this groove and this happens every football season. Now it's Thanksgiving. The holidays are here now. And I feel like this year has flown by, but Thanksgiving to me is always a special time of year. And I wanted to give the listeners a little bit of a deviation from sports and talk about the holiday, talk about how we celebrate it, things we like about it, because you and I are still getting to know each other on this show. And so why not let us get to know each other in front of the listeners? So uh, Thanksgiving for you, traditionally, as you grew up, what it is now, like what are some things about it that you'd love to share with me and the listeners? I would say, I, I don't know that there are too many unique traditions when it comes to uh, my family, whether through uh, my upbringing or now. I, I guess there's a couple unique ones to us that maybe surround the holiday, but pretty much growing up, it was always typically uh, go to grandma's for Thanksgiving dinner. You know, we never hosted Thanksgiving dinner at our house. It was always go to grandma's house. And then as our grandma passed away, it became go to um, either my mom's house or I have an uncle who will host once in a while. And now that as our family has grown, my mom, you know, and stepdad, so my stepdad's family's involved and my cousins have gotten older. It's just people get pulled in a lot of different directions. So my family's Thanksgiving, as far as my extended family is happening like Saturday. Okay. Uh, Saturday night. But uh, we're going to do a little thing at our house, just our little family on Thanksgiving, you know, roast a little turkey and a few sides, just nice and easy, relaxing day. The traditions that kind of encompass it for us is, um, historically, since we moved into our new home, we've always gone and cut down a fresh Christmas tree on Friday after Thanksgiving. And I have a new job this year. So I actually work on Friday, which everybody's like, oh, that stinks. But I'm telling you, I don't mind at all because I really enjoy my job and uh, I, I don't mind going to work. And it, it's much better than the position I was in previous. Uh, so we just moved it to Saturday morning and we'll go Saturday morning and get a tree. And, you know, that's a fun thing. And, you know, our son's old enough now that he'll kind of be able to... Uh, participate in the process a little bit and know what's going on and i'm sure he'll think it's really exciting and it sounds like the weather's going to be pretty pleasant here this weekend which would make it for a, a comfortable day at least so i mean really pretty simple nothing overly special uh loves love some turkey and and all the wonderful sides that come with it and like i said just a, just a simple midwestern thanksgiving how about you sir so my mom was huge into cooking and hosting and all that stuff. We never, well, we went places for Thanksgiving, but it was always an aunt or an uncle's house. Like I actually grew up without grandparents who ever did that kind of thing. And I realized as I got older and met more people that weren't in my region or in my family, that so many people had grandparents that were so active in their life. And I just, I just never had that for one reason or another. So it was always my mom cooking. And when my mom passed away, all the holiday traditions that she had instilled in me I kind of returned in a, in a way because we had reconnected and all that kind of thing and 
I always remember her being in the kitchen. I remember the turkey and, and the stuffing and everything. And I have very visceral memories and emotional responses to Thanksgiving because it, it means a lot to me. And growing up as a kid, the holidays were the one time of year where my parents got along like all the time. And it was a rarity outside of that. Not that it was a tumultuous situation or anything, but at the holidays, everybody was happy. And Thanksgiving was kind of like the starting point of that. And so I love to cook Thanksgiving. I like to cook in general, but um, you know, this year we're hosting finally. We had a brand new kitchen put in earlier this year. So we're putting that to the test. We have family coming by. And I like the idea of gathering and eating and just sort of taking inventory. And maybe this is taking it a little bit too deep, but I do take inventory around this time of year because as we pointed out earlier with the flooding situation, anything could go wrong. And you have to look at your life and think, man, I really have it good in X, Y, and Z places. And we can all take a look at our life and say, I wish this was different. I wish I had this, or I wish I had that. Ultimately though, there are some things that we can all be thankful for. And I know for me, I love the meal and all that stuff. So one of the things that has happened in my family, we were coming from a military family, my wife, and they never really had anybody for Thanksgiving. It was always themselves. So a lot of times they would cook for themselves or they would have pizza, right? Because that's all that they had. And so now we're marrying these two situations together and we've taken some of the things that she used to do, some of the things that we do and put it together. And every other year so, so far, we have kind of had one or the other. So like this year she's making her stuffing or their family stuffing. And some of the years I make mine and I like doing that kind of thing. So Thanksgiving is always very fun for me. And this year, because I've been doing this new stuff stupid eating regimen. I cannot friggin' wait to get that plate in front of me. Oh man. And honestly, you talking about that stuff kind of, uh, you know, made me recall a few things um, about Thanksgiving that you mentioned. And like you talked about always growing up and Thanksgiving happening in your home, you know, there were several times uh, growing up that I would stay uh, at my grandma's house the night before Thanksgiving. And I remember waking up in the morning and just, you know, feeling that kind of the warmth in the house, you know, of the turkey in the oven and, and smelling it. And, and just the sound of, you know, laying there maybe on the couch or wherever and, and just hearing the sounds of my grandma up early, like preparing the meal in the kitchen and getting everything ready to go and just the smells. And like, it, it's one of those things that I think still when I walk into, uh, whether it be my mom's house now or if we have it at my, my aunt and uncle's house, it, it just that moment, that initial like hit in the face of the smell of the meal kind of takes me back a little bit, you know, hits me with a little, little nostalgia and um, even though it's kind of changed over time, obviously now that, you know, me and my sister and stuff, we, you know, we all have young kids and it's that adds some, some chaos, some good chaos, but some chaos to the holidays. It, it is kind of like when I walk in and in those moments and that, that feeling that the, the, all the senses, it's almost kind of like putting on that warm sweater and curl up in the corner of the couch. You know, it's very comfortable. I really enjoy that. And so, um, and one thing we started doing a couple of years ago on Thanksgiving is, uh, you know, I love traditions and we've started several for different holidays for different reasons. And one we started a couple of years ago is my uncle's like, you know what, let's all go around and just, it might be cliche, but just let's everybody say something they're thankful for. It is as corny as it sounds, it's a really neat thing. And, um, and everybody I think makes an honest effort to not just like be, I don't know what you'd call it, but everyone makes an honest effort to not just be like, oh, thankful for, thankful for my family, thankful for my family, thankful for my health. You know, everyone tries to be really thoughtful about it, which is nice. I agree with you. When I walk around my neighborhood, Thanksgiving has a feel to it. Like I always go for a walk on Thanksgiving morning, especially in this area of the country. I mean, where I live is very residential. So there's a ton of houses here. 
And it's almost as if you can smell the collective meals of all of the houses when you go out there. For some reason, the, the holiday has always had this feel and you've likened it to a blanket and it's kind of the way that it is. And I think that's why it's just, there's something about it that I love. And there's always some memory that I think about. Like I grew up in an Irish Catholic family. My mom always had to have turnip. She was really big on the root vegetables and I fucking hated turnip, but it, we always had to have it. And it was like, it was never anything special. It was just like whipped with butter. And I'm like, I don't want this, but but that's what my mom wanted. And she used to have all these different things at the table. She was very particular about certain things. And I just remember so many of those as I keep getting older. And as my son gets older, this is going to be his third, the for, you know, third Thanksgiving. It's nice to sort of see him get more and more involved. And you've gone through this and you're going through it again. I always love that kind of thing. But the thing I also love about Thanksgiving is football. But I will say this, man, we haven't really had a lot of good matchups to really like sink our teeth into over the last, I don't even know, because the teams that play. But I wanted to ask you, is football on wherever you go? Is it sort of something that you say, I, I need to watch this? Because the way that they have the games out there, depending on when you eat, you can kind of hit that sweet spot. Yeah, usually the game's on somewhere, just kind of in the background playing or whatever the case may be. It's normally not, I think, at the forefront of whatever's happening as far as maybe people talking about it, that many people engage. But it's always kind of, like I said, in the background, playing on the TV there. Uh, my stepdad's a Packers fan. And so, you know, the Packers play the Lions on Thanksgiving, you know, occasionally. And so that game's been on a lot. And he's also, he's a dual fan. So he was a Packer. He is, is a Packers fan and he's a Washington Commanders fan. And so with the Cowboys also playing on Thanksgiving, there's a lot of, there's pretty good odds that one of his teams is going to be playing on Thanksgiving. And so um, usually, you know, maybe he'd be a little more engaged than some others. But yeah, it's always there, but it's not at the forefront as much as you might think it'd be for someone like myself that's really into sports. So, you know, from the consumption standpoint, it's not at a super high level. But when I think about football on Thanksgiving, you know, what comes to mind for me, you talk about walking around the neighborhood and that sort of thing. You know, in my mind, if I had to like paint a mental picture of Thanksgiving, it is. It's walking around the neighborhood, smelling the turkeys being cooked, seeing family pull up in the driveways and get out and go into the house while kids are playing a game of football in the front yard, you know, and like all that stuff. And it's just like, it's, it's more... I think Christmas is is more like family, like tight family holiday, like where Thanksgiving's almost more community, it seems. And uh, no, man, it's, it's really nice. It's become that way where most people, because so many people live like where we live here, I'm a transplant and there's many transplants here. And so we don't have family at our disposal, right? Or, you know, right around this, right around the corner or even a close drive away. And I think you're living the life that I lived when I was growing up. But the other thing that I always think about is high school football, because obviously that's usually like the big rivalry game and um, high school football. We used to go to the, the games, even though I didn't go to that high school. And those are memories that I have with my dad. I talked about my mom. So there's so many things to go about, but you kind of answered this question for me because you seem to start celebrating Christmas the Friday after Thanksgiving. And it's popular now to celebrate earlier and earlier and earlier, thus triggering me more and more and more. And I'm the same way. I actually used to be a December only guy. And then I met my wife and now it is that Friday afterward. And I kind of start looking forward to it. I see Thanksgiving as, all right, I'm thankful for all these things. And now we go into the season of giving. And many people might roll their eyes and say, that's so cheesy. Who thinks of it that way? 
I genuinely think of it that way. And I love giving gifts. Getting gifts is not, I can buy myself anything. So I see it as the start of the Christmas season. Basically the second we're done with that meal, we're ready to go. It's that time of year. And I look forward to it the most all year long. No, I really do enjoy that shift, uh, that mental shift, like you talked about from Thanksgiving into Christmas. But I'm going to let you down a little bit. Now, first of all, I I'm with you in solidarity that I've always fundamentally been a Christmas doesn't start until after Thanksgiving, right? No tree, no lights. Like let's let's do Thanksgiving and then it's Christmas time. My wife has just blown right past that uh, thought process. And I actually came home from last weekend, went to a Bradley game with my dad, came home after the game and our house inside has all the Christmas decorations up. And my wife, even we have an artificial tree that she puts up as a placeholder <laughs> until we get the real tree i used to push back and and give and and maybe it was more like just out of fun to kind of give her a hard time and, and be a contrarian but anymore man i just embrace it because you know what i do love the christmas season and why not have a few more days of it you know especially if it makes you feel good and honestly it did kind of it kind of came about during COVID. that's when i really just kind of like let go because, you know, we all needed a little bit of positivity and stuff in our lives. And, you know, if a few more days of holiday cheer um, will make you happy, then let's do it. We got to get your wife in touch with Mr. Ryan Leskis, who starts November 1st. He is all ready to go November 1st. And he has an interesting theory about the fact that Thanksgiving is a part of his Christmas season, because why do we celebrate Thanksgiving anymore? We're adults. We don't have these stories of the pilgrims. We know how uncomfortable all that crap is. So like he just sees it as a, um, a cornerstone of the path that gets us to Christmas. And I can't really say otherwise. And I don't actually hate on anybody who does it. I might make snide comments to my wife or maybe even to you but I'm not going to do it outwardly. And, you know, like you said, more positivity. There's nothing wrong with that. But I want to switch to sports because that's what people tune in for. But I thought it was cool to kind of give a little bit of a peek behind the curtain in our lives because at the end of the day, Matt and Brad are human beings, even though we are Iceman and Coach here. So I, I had a good time and I appreciate you being game for that, sir. No, absolutely, man. I think it's really important that um, at the core of all this is us and who we are and what we do. And really, I think we would both agree that we both do this for ourselves, right? And, and what the satisfaction that we get out of spending this time together and just so happens that I, you know, maybe we talk about some things that other people like listening to once in a while. Yes, and I'm not sure this is one of them, but we're going to swiftly transition to talking about Thanksgiving football. And traditionally, we have seen the same two teams play. Now, they have added a third game, I want to say probably in the last five or six years. I don't think there's always been three games. Usually you get two. And what we know is that traditionally, the Dallas Cowboys and the Detroit Lions play and have a home game on Thanksgiving. And I ask this question to you because the Lions have squandered time and time again having a home game on Thanksgiving. It's really an honor, or it used to be. And should the Lions still be playing on Thanksgiving to preserve that tradition that has happened for so long? You're a big tradition guy, but when the football stinks, it does that matter to you? Does not matter. Does not matter to me. Um, I think that I don't know how, how it started that the Lions play on Thanksgiving every year, but that's basically been the case ever since I can remember, and I'm sure for a really long time. I have no problem with the Lions playing on Thanksgiving. I think it would be uh, weird um, if they didn't, and even the same with the Cowboys. It just seems it's Thanksgiving, man. It's Thanksgiving, and the Lions and the Cowboys are going to play, and it, it's one of those things with so many uncertainties in life. I like knowing that 
on Thanksgiving, like I said, the Lions and Cowboys will be playing. So Thursday Night Football hasn't taken anything away from it for you because it used to be the only Thursday game on the slate. And now that we have a weekly Thursday game, does Thanksgiving just feel like another game or does the surrounding day still elevate it to a different level to where you feel that it's different? Because I know you're a big Thursday Night Football guy. No, I, I think th the fact that it's Thanksgiving really separates it. It doesn't feel like any other Thursday. Um, it feels like it's Thanksgiving as opposed to Thursday football. Uh, and so, no, I don't think that it uh, it has any impact on it at all. I feel like there's a compromise here because they have three games. And hear me out on this because I, too, believe that the Lions and Cowboys should remain on Thanksgiving. I know a lot of people will complain because the Lions haven't been good, but the Dallas Cowboys are still a national brand. They move the needle and they should be in prime time on Thanksgiving. That's just the way that I feel. But with that third game now, I feel like the NFL should be able to flex to whatever the best other matchup is so that we have some meaningful game or seemingly meaningful game instead of just being stuck with whatever that third game is. In December, they always flex games. So why can't they do it here? Because we get those traditional matchups during the day, that 820 game, everybody's moving on to Christmas, everybody's ready for something, the meal's over, theoretically, and you're, you know, in a food coma, or you're waking up from it, and man, you get to watch like Bill's Dolphins or something that would matter this year. Do you think that that's a compromise worth looking into for the NFL? Or is it just, hey, we're stuck with what we're stuck with? I don't know, man, I have an interesting take on that. Maybe the NFL figures that by that time of day, especially, that people might be so busy, they're commuting home, maybe from their meal somewhere, or they went to sleep early. Maybe they feel like it, it's possibly a wasted opportunity for a great game. Uh, why would you intentionally put a game there? Because maybe the viewership is just not what it would be if that game was on Sunday at noon or whatever else, right? Now, the only problem I have with putting more games on Thursday is it means less games on Sunday. Like that's that's literally the only beef I have with it at all. I wish we could have football every day when we damn near do between college and pro. I mean, right Tuesday, now. Wednesday might be the only days. And there, I'm sure there's some obscure college games that happen on Tuesdays and Wednesdays somewhere. But um, no, I, I don't know that. I don't get caught up too much with the uh, quality of the matchups on Thanksgiving, even with Thursday night football. I, I mean, yeah, sometimes there's some real dogs, but I mean, when they make, but if you look at some of them and think about what things looked like preseason, it's like, well, this game, sh everybody thought probably would have been a good game, but now 10 weeks later, it's not, <laughs> but no, I, I don't get caught up in that. No, the reason that I asked is because you probably could drive ratings if you put a good game in that 820 spot. And again, the people that are traveling, fine, they're not going to watch the game. But as you know, we love some football in this country. So I feel like if the NFL is thinking about their bottom line, they could try to get more out of that 820 spot. But I'm kind of in your camp. It, I, I like more games on Sunday because that's the day I generally tend to watch the most football. I don't really watch those standalone games unless it's a playoff game. And for us this year, the Cowboys and Patriots are playing in on Thanksgiving. So Sunday, we have no rooting interest. And it's just sort of, if we put on red zone, we put on red zone. If we don't, we don't. And I don't like that. I like there being something to tie me to football on a Sunday. So maybe we're kind of, we're aiming for the same thing, but we have the same hangups and that we want more Sunday football. But I feel like they keep spreading the NFL week out longer and longer to the point that it's not going to feel special anymore because we as guys need to tell our spouses that, wait, hey, we're only asking for one Sunday every week, right? And now we're like, well, what about Thursday night? Well, what about Monday night? Now, what about Saturday? Because during Christmas, we get Saturday football. It's ruining all of the 
the the leverage that we have. <laughs> yeah, you're right. The women are probably gonna, and not that there aren't women that are great, uh, great football fans. Oh, but, there are. Um, you're right, though. I mean, yeah, I know if I told you know, my wife would probably not like the NFL monopolizing my time, but I think that's their goal at the end of the day. They want to own as many eyeballs as they can, and they're on their way to doing it. We will talk about those games a little bit later during crunch time, but I want to briefly get to some of the action that happened this week, and I'm going to start in New York. So the New York Jets are being talked about this week. I think they're probably the talk of the town. Normally, when you use the phrase talk of the town, it's because you've done something wonderful. And in this particular case, they are the talk of the town because they have done something terrible. And this past game, they played the Patriots in Foxborough. They hadn't beaten the Patriots, I think, in 13 straight games and heading into late in the fourth quarter with about 25 seconds left they had a third and one they threw short of the line to gain had to punt the ball away to new england who then returned the ensuing punt for a touchdown to essentially win the game the jets defense played otherworldly super bowl caliber defense they played excellent defense all year held the patriots to three points at the end of the game at the press conference zach wilson was asked do you feel the offense let down the defense only giving up three points and he just emphatically said no he had nine completions in this game I feel like Zach Wilson is getting close to the point that we know what we need to know about him and it's time to move on but I wanted to give you some time to talk through Zach Wilson from your coaching mind and just the way that you see football differently than I do well first of all he has to take ownership of the offense if they only score three points that's we know now today in football probably for the last 30 years in football three points is not enough points to win a football game that's on him and for him to not accept any responsibility that probably bothered me more than anything that he has or hasn't done on the field because at that moment i was like nope he's not the guy because what's now yeah sure a lot of the greats are a little arrogant but what's something that most of them have in common accountability yeah and they, i mean even almost when it, i mean they they shoulder the blame when it's not their fault right they're always like put it on me uh, this is my team my responsibility and zach wilson um he took the total opposite direction and i don't know how you could do that after the performance that he put up on on sunday and i don't think that in the nfl you need much of a sample size to make a determination i feel very comfortable today right now it's saying that i think zach wilson is a bust for sure. I, I haven't, I, I had some high hopes early on, but at this point, and especially with that comment, uh, which told me a lot about his personality and what he's about, now nah, he's not going to succeed with that mindset. And unfortunately, he doesn't have enough talent to overcome being having that attitude. This unearned arrogance has got to come from being the guy at BYU, right? Like the weird part is where he's coming from, the lifestyle, his upbringing, you would think that he'd be Mr. Accountable. And so when you see nine of 22 for 77 yards and your team was still in the game at the end and you're asked, did you let the defense down? I do not understand how the word yes doesn't come out of his mouth. And I've watched a ton of Justin Fields things and Josh Allen and after losses, they 100% come out and say, I've got to be better. Even if they played a good game and it wasn't their fault, the quarterback is the field general. They are the leader the captain of the offense a lot of times the captain of the team and what does it say about him that in their moment they're six and four they're still in it they can't beat their rival and he's one of the big reasons why he just comes out and says nah not a problem what is he like in the locker room you think because i have a theory 
uh, probably arrogant and standoffish. I've, now, hearing you talk about that, what popped into my head was he almost had he had the opportunity to come out and give one of those Tim Tebow speeches, right? And kind of cultivate his team, you know, to go out and finish the season strong. Like, hey, you know, this is unacceptable. Uh, you know, my play was unacceptable. And, and you will never see a team, a player play as hard as we're going to play, blah, blah, blah. And he took that opportunity that was laid right in front of him to take ownership, to maybe call out his team a little bit, call out himself and totally point in the other direction. I, like I said, what's he like in the locker room? Uh, probably very selfish, arrogant. And I would imagine he's probably not very well liked, probably standoffish. You think he's walking around saying, hey, if the special teams had done their job, we'd be fine. Probably. Yeah, probably. It wouldn't surprise me one bit. Not at all. Very. It was a very unlikable thing for me. I'm a big team guy. We've kind of established this and, and I have no patience for that behavior. So check this out. This is according to NFL and CBS's Twitter page. So Zach Wilson, his ranks in four different categories out of 33 qualified quarterbacks. Passer rating, he's 32nd. Completion percentage, 33rd. Pass TDs to INT ratio, 31st. And pass TDs per attempt, he's tied for 31st. So my question to you is Robert Sala is staring at a defense that could win a Super Bowl. Like I'm not being hyperbolic here when I say this. They have a Super Bowl caliber defense and they're really missing a quarterback who can at least get the team to a modicum of success offensively and they'd win some of these games. If you're Robert Sala, you know you've put money into this guy, you drafted him, but I feel like you've got to pull the plug and at least see what you have out of this team in this in this season because if you make the playoffs, that's the first step and then anything could happen after that, especially with this defense. So what, Joe Flacco, right? With Joe Flacco or Mike White. Yeah, I mean, now you would have to think Joe Flacco being a veteran, he's not the type of guy that's going to go out and win a game for you, but you would hope that he has the experience to not go out and totally fucking screw it up. I don't know. Maybe you, I mean, I'm trying to think in my head, you know, is there someone, is there someone you could pick up the phone and call, you know, do you call and see if you can have Ben Roethlisberger dusted off or something like that? I mean, is, is there some quarterback that's recently retired that's got a little bit left in the tank that you could bring in and teach him the offense in a couple weeks and make a run at it? I'm not sure. But uh, like I said, if that's the attitude that dude has, I don't care about any of the measurables at that point. I, I really don't. And, and maybe that makes me, you know, kind of a get off my lawn, old man or whatever, but I, I'm moving on. I mean, Joe Flacco is not going to give you nine to 22 for 77 yards. Like he's yes, not going to light up the scoreboard, but he's not going to lose you football games, which Zach Wilson is actively doing that with how poorly he's playing because this team at six and four still in the playoff hunt and they could be eight and two. Like this is a game they should have won. Had Flacco been in this game against the Patriots, they would have won this football game because Mac Jones didn't exactly light it up. I mean, he was like 21 of 26 for 246, no touchdowns, no picks, which is whatever. And that defense played lights out because the Patriots also have an elite defense. But Joe Flacco probably wins in that game because they can at least get into the damn red zone. They didn't get into the red zone the whole game to the point that I don't know if you saw this stat, but in the second half, they averaged 2.7 inches per play. It's horrible. And you just cannot have that. And Robert Sala, as much grief as he got last year for how they started this year, losing that first game, saying he's going to be taking receipts. Remember, they ripped off a bunch of wins. They beat the Bills. So they're capable of greatness. And I feel like this quarterback situation, which we talked about a few weeks ago, remember I asked you, would you rather be the Jets or would you rather be the Bears? And you said it's hard to find the guy. And we're seeing that now with the Jets. But next season, for sure, I'm picking up the phone. If Aaron Rodgers is available, Rodgers can lead that team to a Super Bowl. 
yeah, I think you got to find someone. And it, like you said, with the defense being where they are, and they're gonna they're gonna finish the season with a decent record. So they're not, I don't know what they have draft pick wise or whatever, but they're not gonna finish high enough to have a very high draft or low enough, excuse me, to have a very high draft pick. So I think they're gonna have to through trades or free agency, if there's anything out there, get really creative about bringing in a top notch quarterback that can win right now. And it's not very often that you can find a quarterback later in the draft that's capable of being that type of guy. And I find myself asking the question, you know, when's the last time that the Jets had a great quarterback? I mean, yeah, they had Favre, but he was on the the downslide. And Mark Sanchez, I guess, then they go to the AFC Championship with Mark Sanchez, but Mark Sanchez was trash. I mean, I shouldn't say trash. That's a little extreme, but... Was it Chad Pennington, Mm -hmm. maybe the last really like sustainable above average quarterback that they had that had any sort of longevity about him at all? I mean, Vinny Testaverde. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But I mean, shit, man. Vinny Testaverde is probably 70 now. Hey, last time they asked him, he came literally off the couch and ended up going to the AFC Championship game. So Vinny is capable of a lot of things. By the way, 10 years ago today, tonight was the butt fumble. So happy anniversary, Mark Sanchez. (laughs) Well, hey, Mark Sanchez can eat shit being a USC guy. This is not his week for me. That was one of my favorite football moments and Thanksgiving football moments of all time was the butt fumble. I remember watching that game with my mom. It was like 2011, obviously, or, or 2012 or something. And just that was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. But now one of the most hilarious things I've ever seen. And yeah, I agree with you. I think the Jets have something here and they need to figure out what to do. I just don't think Zach Wilson is the answer. But flipping to the other side of the city, you have the New York football giants who seem like they have found something this year. And did they get exposed this week? Losing to your bull. Motor City, Dan Campbell, three in a row for the Lions. The Lions got it going. I tell you what, they they can score some points. Their struggle has been stopping people. But the fact that the Giants offense and uh, Daniel Jones could not uh, put enough on the scoreboard to get past the Lions is is definitely an indictment on them. Exposed, maybe. I I, I don't know. I honestly feel like the Vikings maybe were more exposed than the Giants were, possibly, because I do think the Lions really kind of have it rolling. They feel like they're kind of hot right now, and um, I do think there's something to be said for that. Not saying I didn't say that the Lions were going to be okay, but... (laughs) um, Four and six. Yeah, well, so far, but you never know, man. You never know. That could turn into 11 and six real fast, so... Let's just calm down on the victory lap on the the Lions here, okay? (laughs) I don't know. I, I think it's tough to sit there and and draw the con- that conclusion over one game, especially in the NFL where anybody can beat anybody any given week. But it, it definitely showed that they are not, they're not ready to be in that upper echelon of the NFL. Vikings, though, you mentioned them. I was asked earlier today by my boss if I was surprised by that outcome. And I said, not really, for a myriad of reasons. One, the Vikings coming into the season or coming into this game, obviously they're, they weren't world beaters. They had been winning close games, and that's great, right? That game against the Vikings, which was amazing. I mean, excuse me, the, the game against the Bills, which was incredible, the, the back and forth at the end and all that. They really had to claw to win that game, and you're going to have to do that in the playoffs, but you're going to eventually reach a point where you come up against a team who's really hot, and Dallas coming in they needed it more than the Vikings did. That was a huge game for Dallas, in my opinion, for playoff seeding. And in the range of outcomes in any NFL game, you usually have a blowout one way or the other, and I feel like this is that like if they played that game nine more times the Vikings would blow out the Cowboys once 
and obviously we had a blowout the other day and then the rest of them would be close games and they'd probably split right and it didn't surprise me but it does beg the question now because last week Cleve and I joked that Kirk Cousins was blade he can only play in daylight so they're gonna have to figure it out when they get to the playoffs because they can't play all day games they're gonna have to win in prime time and against a good quality opponent and this game just wasn't it for them but this is man this is the floor for the Vikings and if they have a stinker like that in the playoffs done no I agree and really I think that the I mean, we've been back and forth a little bit on the Cowboys, but I think that the Cowboys are more talented than I've maybe given them credit for. And and that possibly uh, kind of, uh, you know, that came to fruition a little bit on Sunday. And, you know, like I said, I don't know if we can necessarily make an indictment on the Vikings. It's one game. You said blowouts, weird blowouts happen all the time. But you're right. They're going to have to find a way to, to get it together and to be able to win in prime time and to be able to be good opponents and possibly even on the road if they want to get, you know, put themselves in a position to compete for a championship. Cowboys found something with Pollard, too. He looked amazing. But then again, everything was working, so it's hard to tell if it was Pollard. But I think Zeke is pretty much finished as a premier back. I think if they keep him, it's going to be on the cheap and he's a third down goal line option at best. But he is done. He looks slow. But the Cowboys looked really, really amazing. That was really all of the highlights this week. Everything else was kind of just whatever. Raiders beating the Broncos. Literally nobody gives a shit. But things that people do give a shit about are the playoffs. So I wanted to go over the playoff field every week now between now and the end of the season because we're getting closer to where it actually matters. So in the AFC, this is the seeding right now. Number one seed would be the Kansas City Chiefs. No surprise. Number two would be the Miami Dolphins. Right now they are leading the AFC East. Tennessee Titans starting 0-2 are now 7-3. And, and the Ravens are your fourth division winner at seven and three so the five six and seven seed are the bills the patriots and the bengals jets are right outside at six and four so they were there last week the entire afc east would have made the playoffs if the season had started today or the season it ends today the only team in there that surprises you is the patriots right i don't know if it surprises me i'll never be surprised if a bill belichick team is in the playoff hunt um i, I not at all and yeah mac jones and whatever else aside i mean uh, and maybe, like I said, maybe I'm too high on Bill Belichick, but the proof is in the pudding. And I, I think he's going to have his team in a position to compete for a playoff spot as long as he's employed somewhere. Well, just to let you know, the remaining schedule for Bill Belichick and the Patriots at Vikings, Bills, at Cardinals, at Raiders, Bengals, Dolphins, at Bills. So one winnable game in that scenario. Yeah, that's right. It's a pretty tough stretch, but you know, those that's not a game. If I'm any of those other teams, though, that's not a game I want to see on the schedule this time of year, though. Honestly, I, I don't want to have to play Bill Belichick in December. No, thank you. You're probably right. But I feel like coming into this season, if the Patriots had a nine and eight record, I would have been very, very happy. It's possible they could make it there. That's a pretty murderer's row, but we will see. They could possibly get there. So if you look at the NFC, the NFC to me is much more wide open because I feel like there's a couple of good teams and there's a lot of other teams we're just not sure about yet. The AFC to me is packed and any combination of teams that make it could go to the Super Bowl. But in the NFC, we have the Eagles at 9-1, Vikings 8-2, 49ers leading the NFC West at 6-4. They had a huge win in Mexico, just blew out the Cardinals and the Bucks at 5-5. Five five. But a 5-5 five five Bucks team that finds something, they could be dangerous with Tom Brady at the helm. And then rounding it out, you have the Cowboys, Giants, and Seahawks with, surprisingly enough, the Commanders, a half game out of that seventh playoff spot. Taylor Heineke is playing his ass off for Ron Rivera. We'll never see Carson Wentz again. And I feel like if it were me, the Commanders, to me, have a better shot at getting in than the Seahawks do. I think that they're just, I don't know, I feel like Gino and the boys are going to come back down to the mean a little bit. 
Yeah, maybe so. But this is one thing I think that's at play here. The NFC West is a division that leading coming into the year, I thought was going to be one of the best divisions in football. And it has proven to be maybe almost the opposite. Sands the AFC South. <laughs> so I think that based off getting to play all those teams twice, the Seahawks maybe stand a better chance of getting themselves into playoff contention as opposed to the Commanders because at least based off records, the NFC East is pretty solid between the Giants, the Cowboys, and the Eagles. Those are all teams that have themselves in the hunt. You know, three of those four teams are in the playoffs right now today with the Commanders being just on the outside looking in. Um, that's much more of a grueling division to try to fight your way through to make the playoffs than the NFC West is. And so that's why I would maybe tend to give the edge to the Seahawks. But one thing I see when I look at this is I really think that the AFC is much stronger than the NFC, for sure. No doubt. Like, there's just no doubt. And I feel like I was talking to my in-laws the other day and I said the Cowboys are 100% in it because the NFC is so wide open. And I feel like all they have to do is just not lose one of these stupid games that they usually lose in the playoffs, like last year to Jimmy G at home. And I think they have a Super Bowl caliber team talent wise to at least get there. Who they would play is up in the air and the AFC is ridiculous. But the NFL always, always something to talk about. But somehow it's December almost and we have seven more games to go. So we still don't know anything. You and I still have no idea what's going on, but I want to talk a little bit of NCAA. They just came out with the playoff rankings. Nothing changed from last week. However, the big news to me is LSU sitting at number five because we had Hendon Hooker and the boys get absolutely crushed at South Carolina. Hendon Hooker out for the season with an ACL. So goodbye Heisman for him. But the biggest thing coming out was yesterday and we texted about this offline was right now the rumors are Lane Kiffin to Auburn. Before we even get into anything else about that, I wanted to just ask you, what do you think about this and would it be a good fit? I think it would be a good fit because Auburn's a little fanatical and I think that Lane Kiffin has the experience now and maybe the right mindset to handle that. I don't think it's a bad, I mean, it's a, it's a, a gigantic fan base, very loyal fan base. They've won national championships recently. Great support. And with Nick Saban, you know, on the back stretch here, likely only a few years away from retirement, he would be in position to essentially take over the state of Alabama. Ole Miss is, you know, they can barely get students to show up for games. They, you know, who the hell wants to be? And I, I'm not, I've never been to Oxford, Mississippi or Auburn, Alabama, but I just, to me, Mississippi in my mind seems just like a desolate wasteland and I, I just feel like I know it's the SEC and everything, but I feel like you just your recruiting power you have at Auburn is better. And I don't know if you're if you're him. I'm not sure how you can pass that opportunity up. Isn't his career arc amazing? Like, think about it. He's 47 years old and he's coached at so many premier universities and in the NFL and somehow he still continues to like rise up it's really really interesting because he was the villain before resurrected his career with Saban which we're going to see Jimbo Fisher here do in in the offseason but it's interesting to me because normally they take jobs that seem incremental and within the SEC you'd think well there's not that big of a difference but I do agree with you Ole Miss versus Auburn if Auburn is relevant and Nick Saban is still in the game for a couple of years, you're going to have the Iron Bowl matter, whereas this year it's kind of whatever because neither one of those teams is really sniffing the national title right now. And I just think it's interesting, though, that he's doubling down so hard on the fact that he's not taking this job when we know when they're confronted about this, they always say no and they always take the fucking job. No, absolutely. And, and I'm sure that, you know, he's trying to keep his team half-ass engaged 
through the rest of the season. And, and I imagine he hasn't put pen to paper yet. So why do you want to say, yeah, I'm going. And then God forbid something crazy happens and Auburn changes their mind. And now, now you're really screwed. I, I'm Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. But yeah, these guys always say no time and time again. And they always take the job. And I expect him to do the same. And I think that brings up the question of who goes to Ole Miss? You and I threw out a lot of names yesterday, but the one that still sticks in my mind is Chip Kelly. And I know you hypothesized before I fell asleep, was the Big Ten going to make them a much more prominent program? And I'm not sure because is it possible that UCLA goes over there? First of all, they're going over there with their big brother in USC, who clearly is the marquee school that they wanted. And are they going to be able to really compete and recruit in the Big Ten that's already going to have Ohio State, Michigan, And now USC, that's a lot, right? It's a lot to ask for, especially when mostly the Big Ten has been pretty solid top to bottom. And Chip Kelly cannot go to the SEC. He's been successful at these schools that haven't really been considered like the top tier when he was at Oregon, right? Well, it's not the SEC. And we always hear that. He takes the job at Ole Miss. It's a step in the right direction, step in the door, because obviously what we've seen is Lane Kiffin can take it from what it was to being what it is now. Chip Kelly can do that. I mean, if UCLA is relevant right now, he can do that in the SEC. No, I I agree he could do it there for sure. I think the one thing that is interesting about it is you wonder how much maybe future conference realignment may impact his decision. So, you know, there's been, you know, we, I think we all agree that if there's ever some sort of a major shift in how college football is structured, that the SEC will be at the center of it and, and at the top of it. Right. And, and so I wonder if there's a push by some of these coaches, if it's like, Hey, like you gotta, you gotta get yourself into the SEC so that you are at the highest level of whatever the hell is going to come of all this when the time comes. Now, I don't think that UCLA would be left out in the cold just because of location and, and they, they have been, you know, above average and, you know, being in the Big Ten, I think the Big Ten is the next best option to pull into something like that. But at the same time, though, all the things that you said make US UCLA a struggle would be the same at all, the same things that would make the Ole Miss job hard. You know, you're you're in a conference with Alabama and Auburn and Tennessee and Florida and Georgia. And, you know, I mean, like, so you're not the big fish by any means. Um, you could argue, I mean, you may not even be the, be the best program in your state, you know, with Mississippi State and Mike Leach. I mean, you're going to be competing just for that every year, just the same way that you are with uh, USC. Now, you might have a little more recruiting prowess just because you're in the SEC. There's a lot there to unpack, man, and analyze. Oh, there certainly is. And Lane Kiffin should take this job. I'm not saying that he shouldn't take the job, but whoever takes the old Miss job, I think that the the worry for me is you named a lot of guys who are at these non-Power 5 schools. The transition to a program like that from, say, a Tulane, for instance, it's a huge adjustment. And honestly, I feel like the expectations are so high that these guys are almost set up for failure. Whereas Ole Miss going from Lane Kiffin, I mean, Lane Kiffin is a name, no matter what you think and no matter what people think about his you know, career arc and all that, he was a big name and kind of a splash hit because he'd resurrected himself. And so to go from him to somebody that is a relative unknown, it might be actually a risk and they might want to try to go for a guy like Chip Kelly to keep that going. But you're, you're not wrong about what you said, but I guess in my mind, if you're trying to recruit and you're saying, I'd rather say, hey, you can come play in the Big Ten, which is a lot of 
the cold weather and Nebraska's over there, or you can try to be in the SEC where we know the spotlight is. And if you're thinking about recruiting from these kids today, they're worried about one thing, playing time and also the exposure, and maybe they have a leg up there and he would have a leg up. We'll find out. I mean, it's not going to be very long before we find out if Kip Kiffin even took the job and then there'll be somebody right on the heels of it. They're not going to coach their bowl game and all that good bullshit that we see every year. It will come out eventually. But if you're going to the SEC, you better hope that Saban is losing. And I know a lot of people are trying to start his like funeral stuff here, but I think we should watch out because it's Nick Saban still. No, I agree. And he's kind of like, it's just like, he's like Bill Belichick, man. He's the Bill Belichick of college football. And as soon as people think that uh, well, you can't do it without this guy or without that guy or, you know, the game has passed you by this or that. You've lost this assistant, that assistant. Here they are just to prove to you still yet again that um, they can do this job at a very high level. You know, to kind of circle back for a second to what you said about the old, or the old Miss job, I would agree that, you know, a hire from a non-Power 5 would probably not be sexy enough for Ole Miss, you know, donors and whatnot. And a, a Chip Kelly would be more of a high profile name that would make a splash. And it's probably really that's probably what they're going to look to do. So, you know, they're, they're going to want to play it off as, you know, well, that's fine if Kiffin left because we we've upgraded to this person or whatever. But um, as far as if Saban can still do it, absolutely. Um, I don't think we can bury him. He'll, he'll let us know when it's time. I was going to say, it's like he's kind of like Tom Brady. Like he'll just walk away when he's ready. But some people are hypothesizing that the level of intensity of the job that he has make it harder for him at 70 years old. But I actually feel like he's not really doing as much work as he did 10 years ago, that so much of the work is done by assistants and recruiters, because right now he doesn't have to show up in living rooms anymore. He is Nick Saban. Alabama sells itself with its success. So I feel like it's actually easier for him now than it ever was. And that actually makes him more likely to stick around because he doesn't have to do as much work. Now, if the program falls off to the point that he has to start doing a little bit more active recruiting, I mean, yeah, he's seven years old so his shelf life is probably lower but i don't think that's going to happen anytime soon because it's not as if after one year where they go eight and two they're probably still going to make a new year's bowl that players are going to be like up oh, not going to alabama anymore no i don't think that's going to happen at all they're going to be fine he's going to be fine he's got the machine rolling man it's a well-oiled machine like you said he, he's just the one at the top you know sitting there pushing the buttons um he's not having to go out and do any of the manual labor anymore because he did it for so long and put the program in place and established it you know he's the closer and he's he's great at it. I agree. So before we move on, uh, I want to ask you. So right now, the rankings are Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU. None of that has changed. TCU very lucky to win this week. And if they keep winning that way and there's an SEC team maybe lurking about that is comparable to them, they might want to watch themselves. And then at five and six, you have LSU and USC with Alabama and Clemson at seven and eight. I think that of those two teams, Clemson probably has a better shot. By the way, a little personal nugget. Uh, my fam my uh, extended family and in-laws are from South Carolina. They're huge Carolina fans and they are feeling themselves after beating Tennessee this week. But by extension, they actually opened the door for Clemson, their bitter, hated rival to get in. And not one of them has realized that fact yet. No, probably not. But they don't, they just, you know, a lot of sports fans, we just see it in the here and the now. I, I mean, I found myself doing that last week when, you know, UCLA and USC were duking it out. I'm like, man, I want USC to lose so bad, but I know it's better for Notre 
Notre Dame if they beat a one-loss USC uh, this weekend. And and so having that in mind, you know, I'm like, I was texting my dad, you know, because he was in a different room, and I'm like, I'm so conflicted, man, because I just, I just want I want UCLA to beat them so bad, but at the same time, I want their record to be intact when uh, when Notre Dame comes to town. And I think I think an undefeated Big Twelve champ TCU's in for sure. With as much craziness as going to happen elsewhere uh, that that I'm expecting, I I think undefeated TCU is, is a shoe in. Yeah, because Ohio State and Michigan play each other. So one of those two teams is going to lose. And if TCU wins out, it's hard to keep one of the two undefeated teams out, especially when it's a power five champion. And I think USC, LSU is the interesting one. Number five with two losses is really interesting, especially when their losses were kind of a long time ago and they have a chance to win the SEC now. That could be the chaotic part. So we're going to get a lot of that for sure. And it's going to be fun, man. I feel like we've had so much chaos that there are legitimately seven teams that could potentially get in. And there's a ton of matchups that are going to be happening this week. It's rival rivalry week, and we're just going to have a bunch of fun trying to get it all done. Coach is back, and that means it is time for Crunch Time, where we go back and forth, rat-a-tat-tat through 10 games on the slate. Coach, welcome back. Are you ready? I am ready. I've been looking forward to this all week, guys, man. Let's fire it up. All right. First off, Mississippi State, Mike Leach, your boy, traveled to number 20 Ole Miss for the Egg Bowl. Lane Kiffin on his way out. I like the Rebs here. I tell you what, I'm going to take Mississippi State. I think with everything going on within the program at Ole Miss, there's going to be a lot of distractions. Give me Leach and the boys. In what is probably the game of the week, number three, Michigan at number two, Ohio State. This is the rivalry. This is the game. I feel like Michigan beat them last year. Ohio State has something to prove they're at home. Give me the bucks. Game of the week. That is the understatement of the year. This is the game of the year, Iceman. This is the first time, I believe, or one of the first. I think the first time in forever in the history of this rivalry that both of these teams have met at 11-0. First time and as much, man, I so, 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 so bad want to pick Michigan to knock out the Buckeyes at the horseshoe, but I can't do it. Give me Ohio State at home. Number 15, Notre Dame traveling to USC for potentially ruining their playoff. Marcus Freeman has the boys playing super hot. USC duped it out with UCLA last week. I'm feeling the Irish. Give me the Irish for the upset. Yes, the Irish eyes are a smiling. And I'm telling you right now, USC's defense is absolutely putrid. As long as Notre Dame can find a way to shut down high-powered offense of USC, I think they will march to a comfortable victory at the Coliseum. Give me the Irish, of course. Rounding out the college slate, we have our boys, Kansas, traveling to number 12, Kansas State, and what is somehow a rivalry that actually matters. Kansas was a darling at 5-0 earlier in the season. They had a murderer's row, came out of it with a winning record. I feel like Kansas State is going to take care of business here because their coach is going to be the old Miss coach next year. <laughs> so we have the overstatement of the year, or excuse me, the understatement of the year and the overstatement of the year in the same uh, crunch time here. This game does not matter at all, even though these two teams are in the same state, but I will take the Wildcats of Kansas State. 
Thanksgiving NFL starting off with the Buffalo Bills staying in Detroit because they played their last week to play the Detroit Lions who have on a three game heater. The Bills really need to keep winning. A lot of people were questioning them last week. Motor City Dan Campbell has the Lions rolling. I can't believe I'm going to do this. Give me the Lions in an upset. Yes, I love it. I was hoping you would have the stones to do it. This is going to be a battle to see who can really call Detroit home. But I'm telling you what, I love the role the Lions are on. Give me MCDC and the boys. The New York Giants traveling to Dallas on Thanksgiving to face their rivals, the Dallas Cowboys, who just came off a bludgeoning of the Vikings. The Giants are complete frauds. This is a really tough game for them that they actually need. The Cowboys are way too talented, especially at home on Thanksgiving. Give me the boys. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a really big mismatch on paper, honestly. And I, I think this is Cowboys big going away. I think this is where they really, really assert themselves as a contender in the NFC. I think the Cowboys. The New England Patriots travel to Minnesota to face Kirk Cousins, Vampire, and the Minnesota Vikings. Just coming off of that aforementioned blowout against the Cowboys. Patriots coming in off a high from that victory against the Jets. The Patriots have no offense, but one thing I do know, Bill Belichick knows how to coach against guys that don't pay, play well in primetime. Give me the Patriots in an upset. I completely, completely agree with you as I am the president of the Bill Belichick fan club. I think this, contrary to the Cowboys, this is where the Vikings get exposed as potential frauds. I think the Patriots win this game, and I think it's not by a large margin, but I think it's a very convincing victory. The Cincinnati Bengals travel to Tennessee to face the 7-3 Tennessee Titans. The Bengals and Titans played in the playoffs last year. Ryan Tannehill threw three interceptions, and the Bengals ended up going to the Super Bowl, as we know. Joe Burrow doesn't have a lot of weapons. The Titans really aren't that flashy. I'm actually going to take the Bengals as the road dog here. Love me a road dog, and I tell you what, they might have Jamar Chase back this week, and I think that Joe Burrow has things rolling a little bit. They're definitely um, a better team than the Titans, I think, for sure. It's just a matter of them getting a few things figured out. I do agree with you here yet again that the Bengals get the victory in Nashville. Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears travel to the Meadowlands to face Zach Wilson and the New York Jets coming off of that horrific loss. Everybody's questioning Zach Wilson. Honestly, Justin Fields has been playing out of his mind, has been running all over the place. I actually like the Bears here because if the Jets start Zach Wilson, they have absolutely no shot. The truest statement you've made the entire show that literally Justin Fields is the only person that can compete that is traveling to uh, New York. Uh, it will literally be just Justin Fields against the New York Jets and he is fantastic. He's been playing out of his mind, but unfortunately, he cannot do it by himself. Top to bottom, the Jets roster is much, much better. Even with his poor Zach Wilson, I think they would find a way to win just because of how inept the rest of the Bears roster is. I will take the Jets rebounding at home. Last game, Green Bay Packers traveling to Philadelphia to face the 9-1 Philadelphia Eagles. The Packers would seem like they could win this game with Aaron Rodgers. They are dead. Jalen Hurts is going to take the shovel, hit Aaron Rodgers over the head, and bury the Packers once and for all. Give me the Eagles. Aaron Rodgers might be a zombie. I don't know, but it's going to take more than a shovel to the dome to put him out. I saw a lot of weakness out of the Eagles the last couple weeks. I feel like the Packers might be surging. Okay, I'm resurrecting him from when I buried him a couple weeks ago go give me Aaron Rodgers and the Packers all right and that is crunch time we went back and forth coach was it good to be back my man I always love that segment oh it felt so good so so good I feel like it's just teed me up for the uh the rest of this holiday week I cannot wait 
time for OTW of the week. We always like to do this, and we always start with Iceman's stat of the week. Coach, are you familiar with Jamarcus Russell? I've heard of the man once or twice. Widely considered the biggest bust in NFL draft history. Well, according to CBS, NFL on CBS, they took Zach Wilson's first 20 starts and compared them to Jamarcus Russell's first 20 starts. So here we go. Passer rating, Zach Wilson, 70.7. Jamarcus Russell, 70.6. Passing touchdowns and interceptions, 13 to 16 for Zach Wilson, 15 and 13 for Jamarcus Russell. Completion percentage, 55.6 for Zachy, 52.1 for Jamarcus Russell. 6.3 yards per attempt for Zach, 6.2 for Jamarcus Russell, and their win totals, 8 and 12 for Zach, 6 and 14 for Jamarcus Russell. But one thing I do know, Zach Wilson never said he watched a DVD that was blank. So there you go. I think Zach Wilson is a bust if you compare him to the biggest bust of all time. No, you might be right. Hearing those stats side by side is very, very alarming because Jamarcus Russell is honestly at least in the last 15 years, kind of the the butt of all quarterback bust jokes. And to know that Zach is right there in the same realm as him is absolutely hilarious. My friends, it is time for Coach's Pick of the Week. Last week, he sent in his pick via Carrier Pigeon, and it was the Navy Midshipmen plus 16 and a half over UCF. They did win that game outright, and the coach is now a pedestrian, paltry, completely boring 4-4-2 four, four, and two on the season. Coach, please give your pick of the week. Hear ye, hear ye, my peasants. I want you to know that I make these picks in an effort to not make you feel bad about yourself. So at the end of the day, you can look at me and say, well, you know what? At least I'm not as terrible as the coach is at picking games. That being said, this week will be another winner to take that record to five, four, and two. I sense chaos in the college football playoff race and that coming in the way of the Iowa State Cyclone, not just covering the 10-point spread, but beating the TCU Horn Frogs outright to send us into absolute college football craziness. And I can't wait. I live for this stuff. Give me the Cyclones on the road. The Iowa State Cyclones plus 10 over the TCU Horn Frogs. So let it be written. So let it be done. And we have reached the end of the hour, my friends. It has been a jam-packed episode. This week is Thanksgiving, but Coach, I want to have you come on and say some final parting thoughts before we get into some housekeeping to get everybody in to the binge-eating holiday. Yes, I hope you're all ready for the wonderful holiday coming up. I hope you enjoy a great weekend and great Thanksgiving holiday with your families. Iceman, I especially want to wish you and your family a happy Thanksgiving. I am very thankful for the opportunity that you and I have together to do this and for the friendship that we've cultivated uh, uh, throughout this time. That really means a lot to me. And uh, just again, as I always say, man, another great weekend of football. It's rivalry weekend. There's some big pro games that are going to kind of clean up the landscape a little bit. And we're going to come in the next week with a pretty clear picture of uh, what the college football playoff looks like. I agree. I'm thankful for you as well. And I want to say to the listeners to Ice Time Nation, please support Pub Time Podcast wherever you find your podcast. Visit MattyIceMedia.com to support the podcast we have as the Matty Ice Media Network. And I want to mirror Coach's sentiment and wish you, the listener, a very happy, healthy, and safe Thanksgiving. Whatever it is that you do and whoever it is that you spend it with, may it be fruitful and may you have good times and laughter. And don't forget, hug as many loved ones as you can because that time is fleeting. We don't know when it's going to end 
And so if you have an opportunity to spend even five minutes with somebody, take that time out to do it. And you know what, man? I'll see you next week. We will be fat, dumb, and happy. This is Iceman and Coach. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on the Iceman and Coach Sports Show are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. The Iceman and Coach Sports Show is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.